Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hi everyone, and uh, welcome, whoa, I am real loud in headphones. Welcome to this week's episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. We're here in the Lo-Fi Kitchen, talking about uh, reflecting on some things in Luke 6, and uh, this is a clean slate for me, and I won't let this go to waste. I have things to say, so let's go right into the episode. Um, man, Luke 6, um, it's, it was our first heavy block of teaching, so I hope that you you made it through and that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, you know, it's it's tricky for me because I really love the story narrative parts of scripture because it's just like, oh, it, it feels like literature to me. I can, I can follow it pretty easily. I like seeing Jesus do things. Um, and then we get to this teaching stuff and it's, it's a lot of really good things too. Um, but it takes a lot of time sometimes to fit it into the context of the story. Um, so I hope that you're able to follow along pretty well, um, through the episode. As I was uh, creating these episodes the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, a meme, a, a thing that got shared around on Facebook um, popped up and it, it drew me right to this week's teaching. So it was very timely. And what it was is it was a picture um, of Kurt Vonnegut. Um, if you're not familiar with Kurt Vonnegut, he was a great um, author uh, from here in America. Uh, he was a satirist, so a lot of his uh, books kind of poke fun or uh, use kind of uh, uh, rather exaggerated stories to point out some very true things that, as he saw them um, about our culture. And uh, I like him a lot. I, I loved him. I started reading him in high school and just immediately fell in love with uh how absurd he was willing to be to point out the absurdities about the world that he saw. And, uh, it, it was just a lot of fun. So, um, the, the meme that went around had his picture and it had this quote, and I thought it was really pertinent for our conversation about Luke five, Luke six. So here we go. It goes like this. And this is Kurt Vonnegut speaking. He says, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes. And then it says Matthew 5. And I don't know if that was included in the article or if that was included in his original writing of it. But never mention the Beatitudes. But often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon, give me a break. <laughs> That's the end of the quote. And um, so the Beatitudes are in the book of Matthew, if you're not familiar with it, where Matthew records some of the same teaching that Luke records here, and there's slight variations on them. Um, Matthew's, you could say, in a certain sense, are a little bit softer than the versions we get in Luke, because Jesus just lays out a number of beatitudes. These he only says the blessings. So you know, blessed are the poor, and but he says poor in spirit. You know, and blessed are the meek. You know, blessed are the merciful. Um, and he doesn't lay out the woes. So Kurt Vonnegut is is kind of pointing out how um, he doesn't see Christians um, in his time and in his place um, demanding that those things, those central teachings of Jesus. Um, be, you know, by, by being posted in our public places, being kind of the core teachings that we want to create our society around. Instead, he saw people demanding that the Ten Commandments be posted in there. And I remember those arguments uh, going on uh, when I was younger. I think, you know, in the 90s, it kind of seemed to be a, a much bigger touch point of we want the Ten Commandments in every courtroom. 
Um, and he was like, well, why do you guys want the Ten Commandments, you know, the thou shalt not? Um, why don't you want the Beatitudes to be the things that rule how we think a just society is created? And I'm going to push Kurt Vonnegut even a little bit further of saying, what would it look like, let's think together, if Jesus's teachings in Luke 6 became the basis around which we created our lives, created our culture, created a society that uh, gave us a framework for how to interact in the world. Um, Because, I mean, listen to the ones in Luke 6 and tell me what these would sound like if they were like our rules for society. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for what that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you and all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Imagine those written on the walls of a courtroom when someone is standing before a judge or jury and everyone in the room out of the corner of their eye can see, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich. You know, imagine that in a boardroom of a business. Think of think of any big corporation that you want to toss in there. Think of any small local business that you want to imagine in there. What if they went in there every day and every employee had to walk by a sign that said, blessed are you who are poor, hungry, who weep, who are hated, and woe to you who are rich, who are full who are laughing. Woe to you who all speak well of you. I mean, I mean, just thinking from the way a business runs, you always want good PR, so you want to be spoken well of by, by everyone. Um, you know, imagine if every member of Congress, if every staff person in the Senate or in the White House had to walk by a sign that said, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep. And woe to you who are rich, who are full, who are laughing now. Um, I wonder how that would change things. I wonder if it would change things, if people would listen to that and let that be what drives their choices, what drives how they organize themselves as a as a business, as a as 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 a courtroom, as a as a government institution. You know, as an elected body of representatives, um, and I'll take it further. If you're part of a church, what if your church at the front door you couldn't go into your church without reading, "Blessed are you who are poor, woe to you who are rich." You know, woe to you who are full now, and blessed are you who are hungry. Could your church operate the same way that it's operating in your community and write those up there without? trying to maybe hide your glance from it as you as you went into the sanctuary each week or could you say yeah that's that's the god that we have that's what we think is going on in the world 
the poor and the hungry and those who weep, they're the ones who are blessed and we are part of God's hands and feet in the world to carry out that blessing. And yeah, if, if some of us here in this church, if some of us here in this business, if some of us here in this group of people that has the job of watching over others and creating laws that are just and good, if some of us are rich, if some of us are full, if some of us are laughing now, if some of us are the people who I'll speak well of, then we've got to make some changes. Otherwise, we, we can't say that we're a part of what God is doing in the world. I mean, the teaching of Jesus in Luke 6, it's, it's revolutionary. I mean, even those of us, it's easy for those of us who kind of aren't involved in the government or in business to look at those folks. But maybe what about your family? Is your family the kind of system, the kind of family unit? Is your family a team and a group of people where in which those who are poor and hungry and who are weeping and who are hated find peace? And will be filled and find rescue and find healing or not. Um, the teachings of Jesus here are just revolutionary. I mean, Christian and religious people who follow Jesus, who say that Jesus is, you know, part of their book. And there's even other religions who consider Jesus a great teacher and a great prophet. There's millions of people all over the globe who say that this is their book, that this is a teaching that's part of their system, that these are, are true and good for 2,000 years have been telling each other this story and believing that it came from the mouth of someone who knows what he's talking about and is a part of what God is doing in the world. For 2,000 years, this has been it, but it, it seems like we still aren't ready for it. I mean, it seems like we all kind of smile and nod our heads. It's like, yeah, Jesus, that that seems like a good idea. I'm glad that you are all about creating a society where the the poor and the hungry get what they need and are blessed, but and the the rich and the laughing, you know, might be need to be brought down or under judgment. Um, but it seems like we often aren't ready to accept that for ourselves, especially if it means the woe is coming to us. Um, we're often ready to receive the blessings, but we're not ready to see, receive the woes, you know? And we often sometimes don't want others to receive the blessings, but we do want them to receive the woes. It's a tricky way of having to figure out how do we carry these really tough revolutionary teachings of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I love that Jesus follows it up with this really, you know, this one revolutionary sense of saying, you know, be merciful as your father is merciful. You know, he takes out the holiness and puts in mercy and just how much of a perspective change that that requires of all of us that, um, you know, that the key quality of God is not that he's so different, that he's so pure, that he's so other than us, but it's maybe that God is so merciful on a level that we don't even understand, but we need to try and emulate. I mean, there's a real danger in how selective we are about which truths we allow ourselves to be the highest truths, you know, and Jesus is saying the higher truth is mercy. The higher truth is love, you know, and from there he says, yeah, go and love your neighbors, do good, bless those who curse you. You know, the higher truth is mercy. It's not holiness, you know, and the Pharisees describes the teachers of the law that we encounter, um, you know, in, the, in these first couple of chapters of Luke, it seems like they have chosen other truths as being like the higher truths, other laws, other parts of their tradition as being the ones that take precedence over all others. And that unfortunately it results in a society and in a culture where 
where there's a lot of people who don't get to experience the favor and goodness of God because they can't adhere to the strict rules. You know, you have the leper who's, who's outside of the community, literally, uh, because their community has decided that certain laws, the most important ones are ones that mean that they have to be outside of it. It's tricky. Um, and I think we are tempted each day. I mean, think, trying to consider how this story is our story. We're, we're, we're tempted each day to let our own beliefs, our own desires, our own opinions, um, whichever ones we choose to be the ones that guide us most, take us down a path that actually prevents other people from getting what they need, that will always leave some people as poor, as hungry, as weeping, while some of the rest of us are able to be rich and full and laughing. Um, and it seems like that's not okay to Jesus in the story, in the Luke story, in Luke 6. Um, and sometimes the way I think about it is um, I'm tempted often to take on the role, like uh, considering like what my job in the world is, what my role is as a person who hears these things from Jesus and tries to live them out. Um, I have to try and take on the role of not being the one like as Jesus is as being the one who shares and gives out favor and goodness and, and just goes out and tries to care and bring healing to others, but instead tries to take on the role of mediating uh, God's goodness and love and favor and mercy, like mediating it in a sense of, I often just want to step back and look at everyone in the world and, and through a process of stratification based on whatever I believe, decide who deserves and who gets and who rightfully earns more goodness, more love, more favor than others. And maybe some people are so bad that they're not allowed to get any at all until they change. And instead, in, the, in this part of Luke, in Luke 6, um, Jesus seems remarkably uninterested in deciding who gets goodness and love and mercy. Because here in Luke 6, he's saying, even our enemies are going to be ones who we are going to be good to as our God is kind and merciful to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Because our job is just to extend the mercy and the goodness as far as we can and not to mediate it and decide who gets it. And so therefore, don't judge, go forgive, don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Man, that's tough stuff. And I don't think you have to be, you know, religious to get this. I don't think you have to believe that Jesus is God. It's You can ask yourself the same questions of, have you experienced goodness and forgiveness? Have you experienced like a certain kind of beauty and wonder in the world? Have you experienced peace with others or with the world? And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to mediate it and decide who gets it? Or are you going to freely give and be generous even to those who might be causing you pain and grief and hardship. You know, and you can ask yourself the question, am I rich? Do I have a coat? Jesus makes it very practical. If you have a coat, you give it away. You know, John the Baptist, you know, even, even said that earlier in the chapter, and he's a little bit more hard-lined than Jesus is. And you have to ask yourself that question. Like, if I have two coats, does that mean I have to give one away? Is that the way the world is best? Or do I keep them all for myself? I mean, what if we all took it upon ourselves, instead of taking on the job of just helping God decide who gets goodness and love, what if we just already take it 
as built in, that everybody gets love, that everybody gets goodness, that everybody gets as much mercy as we can give, and therefore decided our job isn't to decide who gets it, but our job is just to give and give and help and serve and offer and invite. I think that's the real revolution to what Jesus is offering to all of us here in this story. And we have to wonder, is, is there something about selflessness that's wired into us that that's the way that we will experience love and mercy and forgiveness ourselves? When we give it, we find ourselves receiving it even more. And that when we learn to give freely, we find ourselves free to receive and to give even more. That when we forgive, we find ourselves forgiven in the process. And that maybe when we stop looking at the faults of others, we suddenly can see very clearly the giant logs in our own eyes. Jesus here is just kind of laying it out there. Like, that's just how the world works, everyone. And so hearing the story, we, we are free to look at all of that and decide, is Jesus right? Is this the only way to avoid ruin when the storm comes? And if that's true... Maybe we should start writing it places in our homes or in our courts or in our institutions, in our businesses, in our places of work. And maybe, you know, we should start writing it somewhere where the people that we chose to go and make choices for us of creating a just and good society, maybe we should find ways to remind them that no, no, no. I'm sorry, we're not here to serve the rich and the fool and those who are laughing now. But our job of creating the best world is one in which those who are poor and who are hungry and who weep now will be filled and will be able to laugh and will experience the kingdom of God. It's tough stuff, but man, is that good. Maybe in the next 2,000 years, (laughs) we'll start to get it right. Well, it's heavy stuff, but it's good. Because it means that even if uh, if we mess up, if there is a God, he's ready to show us mercy, even if we find ourselves wicked and ungrateful. So good luck, everyone. Go and be free to go forgive, to not condemn, to give, to share, to love, to show mercy. And may we even find ourselves this week being people who choose mercy over holiness, if that's what it comes down to. Be well, everyone. I'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, The more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, If you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net. And follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, You can also find our podcast on Facebook. And we can discuss and and keep things going on there. Uh, Just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Lectionary and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lo-fi at kevinlester.net. And that's lo-fi with no dash. So L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lo-fi Kevin with no dash again. So at lo-fi Kevin. Um, That's kind of it. So thank you for coming and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.